right. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning to everyone online. We're so glad that you're joining us. Uh, so Tim and Karen are on vacation this week, and I don't know that anyone deserves it more than them. So uh, I'm Pastor Brent. I'm the Adult Discipleships Pastor, and I'm happy to fill in this week. I think next week you get to hear from Troy. Uh, and we're in the middle of a series on the book of Mark. We're looking at the second half of the book of Mark uh, and trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? Uh, as Tim has been telling us over the last few weeks, the first half of Mark focuses primarily on the question of who Jesus was, and the second half has a lot more to do with why he came, what his purpose was, and so that's where we're going to spend some of our time this morning. Uh, our passage today begins in Mark chapter 10, and we've got Jesus and his followers, they're journeying to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover, and in verse 32, which is where we'll start, we'll, we'll pick up there. Uh, That's where we read, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. So it seems that Jesus is traveling with a slightly larger crowd than normal. Uh, It's composed of his 12 disciples and then another group of people called those who followed, Uh, probably just people on their way to Jerusalem also to celebrate, uh, but who happened to recognize that Jesus was with his group and they kind of were tagging along. Um, it seems clear from the passage that there's a sense of uh, intentionality that Jesus has at this point about heading to Jerusalem. He seems very purposeful, and that is what seems to have the disciples astonished. And their unease uh, is picked up on by the crowd, and so that's why we read that they're afraid. Uh, Maybe they sense that something important, uh, whether good or bad, is about to happen. Uh, Maybe they sense that Jesus heading to Jerusalem could mean conflict with the religious leaders. Uh, we don't know exactly what they're thinking, but, but clearly they expect something important to happen. Uh, so Jesus picks up on their, their concern, and uh, continuing in verse 32, he sort of pulls the disciples aside and, and tries to assure them uh, why, why things feel the way they do. Uh, and that's where we read, Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, my guess is that's not exactly the explanation that the disciples were looking for. Um, That doesn't sound super reassuring to me uh, if I put myself in their shoes. But here's the thing. You notice the first word in that part of the passage we read was the word again. Uh, This is actually the third time in the last few chapters that Jesus has predicted his own death and his resurrection. And you get the sense that maybe the disciples aren't quite picking up exactly what he's trying to say because he keeps having to repeat himself. Um, This time, however, he does give more detail than he ever has before. Like this is the first time that he's ever mentioned that the Romans will be involved in the process. And so I think he's trying to give a little bit more info each time, but but they're clearly not picking up on what's going on here. Um, What's interesting uh, is that there... uh, It's the nature of what Jesus wants to do that I think that they're not picking up on. Um, What he's telling them at this point is that this isn't just any regular trip to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's his last trip to Jerusalem. To celebrate the Passover. Uh, his, his coming to die and rise again, Jesus knows, 
is part of his purpose. It's part of his mission. And he's not trying to avoid it. In fact, the passage tells us he's intentionally heading towards it, whether his disciples understand or not. Uh, Writing about this passage, Pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, Jesus predicted his death three times in just three chapters. He knew his death was not an incidental part of his mission. Rather, it was absolutely central to both his identity and his purpose on earth. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to die, to give his life. That sets him apart from the founder of every other major religion. Their purpose was to live and be an example. Jesus' purpose was to die and be a sacrifice. It's incredibly different. Well, as we're going to see from the next section, like I mentioned, the disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus was predicting. But it does seem that like the crowd, they sensed that something important was about to happen. Uh, And maybe it had to do with Jesus as the Messiah finally instituting his kingdom. And so two of the disciples, James and John, uh, pulled Jesus aside. And in verse 35, we read this. Uh, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Um, That's an incredibly bold request, but I love the fact that the disciples felt so close to Jesus that they felt free to ask him anything that they wanted to. Uh, Now, it could be that James and John, along with who along with Peter, were part of Jesus' sort of inner circle of three guys. And, And these three heard and saw things from Jesus that some of the other disciples didn't get a chance to do. So maybe they felt like they were in a privileged position and maybe they were a little more free to ask things of him. Uh, Or it could have to do maybe with their personalities. Uh, James and John had earned the nicknames Sons of Thunder uh, from the other disciples. And it had to do with their intense personalities. Uh, On more than one occasion, uh, we see things like the disciples going through town and they see another group of people Uh, preaching the message of Jesus, but they're not part of their group. And so, of course, James and John ask the question, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy them because they're not with us? Uh, And Jesus, of course, says no. Um, But but it gives you some insight into maybe how intense they are in terms of their personality. Uh, So it could have been their sense of privilege or closeness to Jesus. It could have been their personality. We don't know. But either way, uh, they felt really comfortable asking Jesus for just about anything. Uh, And I love Jesus' reply in verse 36. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, I love that Jesus is not bothered by the boldness of their request. Um, And if this is the direction we're going to go this morning, we had time for it, this would be a great side conversation about how we approach God in prayer. Uh, Maybe how we have freedom to be a bit more bold than we think we do. But that's not the mission for this morning. So uh, back to the passage here. Um, Verse 37, they answer Jesus' question, and they say, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left when you come into your glory. So this is where we get a little bit of insight into the disciples' thinking. Uh, They seem to think that Jesus is going to come into a position of uh, importance or authority or glory soon. And this likely reveals that what we know is true. They believed him to be the Messiah. Um, In the last few weeks, Tim's been reminding us Uh, that the title Messiah means an anointed royal figure, one who would come to administer God's rule on earth and rescue Israel from all its oppressors and troubles, the Son of God who is outright divine. So like many in their day, uh, James and John uh, probably had the sense that the Messiah 
was going to set the Israelites, the people of Israel, free from Roman rule. Um, What they had a hard time understanding is how Jesus, who's now talking about himself dying, how his death could have any role in accomplishing this setting Israel free. Um, It must have seemed like a real disconnect to them that Jesus would talk about that when they think something amazing is going to happen. We later discover that it's not until after Jesus' resurrection that this all starts to make sense to them. And I I get it. If I was in their shoes, I don't think I would have gotten it either. Uh, So I think we can give them a little grace. Um, But not sure what Jesus is getting at. They ask him to give them positions of power or authority when his kingdom comes to be. Uh, In verse 38, Jesus gives his reply. He says, you do not know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with? Uh, Here Jesus is making it clear that they don't understand what it is that they're asking. Uh, It seems that their expectation of how Jesus is going to bring his kingdom about is very different from Jesus' thoughts about how this is going to happen. We're not exactly sure what they would have expected, although based on culture of the day, uh, maybe they thought that because Jesus was popular, at some point he would amass enough followers that they would overthrow Rome by force. That's an option. Um, or, having seen the things that they've seen Jesus do, maybe they thought that just supernaturally or miraculously at some point he would just take rule of Israel back from the Romans. Uh, whatever their expectations might have been, it's pretty clear that Jesus dying in order to make that happen was nowhere in their thought process whatsoever. Um, when Jesus asked them if they can drink the cup that he will drink or be baptized with the same baptizing that he'll undergo, he's talking about suffering. Um, both of these images uh, in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible are images of, of suffering. For example, uh, drinking the cup, which would refer to the cup of God's judgment, uh, or being baptized, which means being plunged into darkness or the deep waters. Uh, they're often used in the Old Testament to indicate suffering. Now, of course, those same images, uh, predominantly in the New Testament, but occasionally in the Old, do have some positive connotations to them. And maybe that's what the disciples were thinking when they heard these things. Maybe they didn't catch that he was talking about something negative. But it seems pretty clear, since he's been talking about his own death and resurrection, that what Jesus is getting at here is suffering. So he's asking, can you suffer the same way that I will suffer in order to bring my kingdom about? And, of course, their response to Jesus is just as bold as their initial question. Uh, in verse 9 and 39, they say, we can. And I have to wonder at this point, like, did Jesus just sort of, like, lower his head and go, oh, because he knows they don't get it? Or my guess is he's a little bit more gracious than I am. Uh, and he probably just smiled and figured, okay, they don't get it. I'll, I'll deal with it later. Uh, he does say... You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Uh, And this is likely a foretelling of what Jesus knows will be the fate of both of these men years down the road. Uh, James, who became one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' death and resurrection, also became the first noted Christian martyr. Uh, He was executed by uh, King Herod Agrippa. Uh, And we read about that in Acts chapter 12. In fact, he's the only apostle whose death is recorded in the scriptures. So Jesus knows that he will suffer. Uh, John, his younger brother, we know the years later, 
will be sent into exile on the island of Patmos as punishment for spreading the message of Jesus. So both these men would eventually suffer for the sake of Jesus. And he knows that. But he doesn't dwell on that. He doesn't try and beat them over the head with it at the moment. Uh, He focuses on what's going on right now. And so he decides finally, I'm just going to give you a clear answer. Uh, And he finishes his response in verse 40. He says, But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Uh, So realizing that they don't get what he's saying, uh, Jesus gives them a clear answer to their question. He says that God the Father is the only one who has the authority to assign positions in his kingdom. Now, we might hope that the conversation was done at that point because he's given a clear answer. But, of course, they're not the only ones there. Uh, there's, there's ten other guys standing nearby who've overheard this conversation. And in verse 41, we read, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Uh, Based on what Jesus says next, uh, it seems pretty clear that the other ten overheard this conversation, and they were upset with James and John. It's just kind of a, hey, if, if they're asking about important positions in the kingdom when, when your kingdom comes, what about us, right? It's a, I don't want to get left out, what, what about me situation? Um, and at this point, Jesus goes, okay, guys, gather around. Let me, let me teach you some things about my kingdom. Uh, so verse 42 We read this. Jesus called them together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, or the Romans, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, in the ancient Roman or Gentile world, uh, position in, a, in society or in government was a status symbol. And the more people that you had working for you, or the more servants you had in your home, uh, the higher your status. And status could be used as a tool for influence uh, in society and influencing others. That was the Roman way. Jesus says that that's not supposed to be the way for those who follow him. Greatness in his kingdom is not measured by position or how many people you have working for you or how many servants you have. Greatness in his kingdom means serving others sacrificially. Uh, He uses a couple Greek words here, uh, diakonos and doulos, which both mean servant and slave. And Clearly, those terms indicate an activity, right? Servants and slaves would have been engaged in the activity or act of serving others. But to those in the first century, you also probably would have indicated position in society. Uh, in fact, two of the lowest positions in Roman society that you could possibly have. Jesus is saying that humbly seeing others is more important than yourself and serving them, that is greatness in his kingdom not going for position or power. So he's trying to help the guys understand, here's what greatness in my kingdom looks like, which is closely tied to how his kingdom will come apart or come to be. Jesus closes his teaching by using himself as the ultimate example of this whole experience. He says that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Uh, Jesus often used the term son of man to refer to himself, and so here he's just saying he's the one that is going to be the example here. And unlike the Romans, he didn't come to be served, uh, but he came to serve. And this attitude or posture is completely upside down from the prevailing accepted attitude in their day. Uh, Jesus goes on to say that his, his serving would ultimately be expressed in him giving his life as a ransom for many. He was so committed to the way of serving that he was willing to die for those that he served. Uh, the word ransom here means to pay a price for freedom. Uh, in the ancient world, prisoners of war and slaves were both allowed to be set free if someone paid a price. So this is the image that Jesus is using here. He's saying that he's paying a price to set us free from the power and influence of sin and death in our lives. And that price was his very own life. Uh, and this last statement really in some ways is a summary of this whole passage because it ties us back into the prediction of his death and resurrection at the beginning. <clears throat> it's kind of bookends to the whole thing and it really talks a bit about his purpose. So uh, let's kind of see what we can learn here. So what does the, the passage tell us about why Jesus came to earth and how we should respond to him? Uh, well, first... <clears throat> It talks about his purpose. Uh, Tim Keller reminded us, Jesus didn't come just to be an example of how to live, although he certainly did that. He came for the purpose of dying for us and then later rising again. Uh, So let me suggest a couple ways that we can respond to this truth that Jesus came to die and rise again for us. Uh, The first response that comes to mind for me is worship. Uh, As Keller said, Jesus is more than just another good religious teacher. Uh, His death and his resurrection proved that he was, in fact, God in the flesh who came to give his life for us so that we could have freedom from sin and from death. And because of that, he is worthy of our worship. He's unique, and so he deserves our worship. So uh, worship, in its most basic sense, is just uh, giving the proper attention or respect due to somebody. Uh, and so this week, I want to encourage you to find practical ways that you can appreciate or worship Jesus. Uh, that could mean taking some time this week to sing some songs uh, that tell Jesus how wonderful he is. Uh, maybe it means setting aside some time specifically to pray and to let Jesus know how much you appreciate who he is and what he's done for you. Uh, It could even mean at a meal sometime this week, you and those in your household, you raise a toast to Jesus and honor him as the one who died and rose for you. There's all sorts of different creative ways that you can express worship to God. And so I encourage you to find one uh, that allows you to best express your appreciation for Jesus. Um, So worshiping him. Another way that we can respond to Jesus' sacrificial death for us uh, is by choosing to follow him in all of our lives. Uh, If that's something that you have not committed to do yet, uh, today is as good a time as any to commit to following Jesus. And it's super easy. Uh, All you have to do is tell him that you appreciate and acknowledge that he's the one who died for you and rose again, and that you want to follow him in the way that he lived and live the life that he did. And he would be glad to help you do that. Um, If following Jesus is something that you're already doing, uh, maybe a way to approach this this week would be to ask Jesus to show you Uh, This takes a little willingness to listen from him. But ask him to show you, is there an area of your life that you're not yet following Jesus in? Or maybe that you're not following him in the way that you think he would like you to. Um, That takes a little bit of vulnerability, but 
uh, Tim often talks about uh, having this house and they have all these rooms in it. And he has this picture of, are there rooms in our house that we haven't let Jesus into yet? And so this week I would encourage you to ask Jesus, is there a room that I haven't let you into yet? And if so, then would you give me the courage to let you into that room? Uh, so following him is another way that we can uh, respond to his, his dying and rising for us. Uh, the second thing that we learn from this passage is that Jesus' sacrificial serving, even the point of death, is, to, is meant to be an example to us that we should follow. Uh, serving others in love is the way of the kingdom. So I encourage you to ask God, who might he want you to serve this week, even in a small way? Uh, it could be a, a family member or a friend or a coworker. Uh, it could be a, a classmate. Uh, it could be a neighbor. Uh, it could be anybody near you. Ask God, who might he have you serve? Uh, and often, this is the case, sometimes God has a tendency to bring uh, people to our minds that may be a little bit more on the challenging side uh, relationally for us to serve. And if that's the case, then I'd encourage you just to, to ask God to give you uh, the courage and the strength to serve as he would serve uh, people in your life. Uh, my mom, uh, who, gosh, I wish all of you could have met. She was amazing. Uh, she is a great example of this to me. Uh, she lived in the house that I grew up in for 42 years before she went to be with Jesus. And during that time, she built relationships with the, the neighbors on either side of us and across the street that were long-running, deep relationships. And two of the women in those homes were single mothers that came from incredibly hard and difficult backgrounds. And often, uh, their circumstances made it challenging them, challenging for uh, my mom to, to love them. But it didn't stop her. Uh, she regularly took meals to them during times of need, even without being asking. Uh, she bought them Christmas presents uh, and invited them out to lunch on their birthdays every year so that they knew that they were seen and appreciated. Uh, she talked with them. She listened to them. Uh, she prayed for them. Sometimes she prayed with them. She loved these women so well. And at her funeral, I had the privilege of hearing these women rant and rave about all the different ways that my mom had served them. Uh, it was amazing to to see the legacy that she had left behind and to see the impact that she had made on the lives of these women, some of whom were really trying to follow Jesus. Incidentally, uh, I married someone who's also really good at this. Um, <clears throat> if you know Jenny, uh, she's incredible at loving people around her and serving others. Um, and I, I'm often just amazed at, at how she does it. So I know I have a lot to learn in this area, and I feel like I have a couple good examples in my life. Uh, God gives us opportunities to do stuff like that every day if we'll just be aware or willing to ask him to show those to us. And so, uh, again, just encourage you to, to think through people that God might want you to, to serve. Uh, another way that we can apply this idea of serving uh, as greatness in the kingdom is to think about uh, the way that we lead others. And this might seem like uh, a sort of out in left field, for, but hang with me for a second. Um, so it's been said that all of us lead somebody. Uh, even if you don't have a position in your life that's an official leadership position, chances are you influence the people around you. The question is, when we think about our leadership of others, is are we, what, why are we doing that? Are we leading so that people will see us as wonderful leaders and great people and we'll have this sense of privilege and, and position and authority over others? Or 
Are we doing it for the simple joy of seeing others grow and succeed and to know that they're loved and seen and cared for? Uh, So when we think about how we lead others, this idea of serving as being the thing that characterizes our leadership should come to the the forefront. Uh, That's the way of the kingdom. So as we lead others, uh, leading like Jesus would in a sort of sacrificially serving way, I think is the way that we should go. Um, All right, so give me a couple of really introspective uh, ways to apply this this week. Maybe a less introspective way uh, to think about taking a step in serving is to fill out our local outreach survey that we announced last week. Uh, And this is what I'm going to have the worship team come up. Uh, Last week we introduced this. uh, If you didn't hear, uh, the church is exploring ways for us to more effectively uh, serve our community as a church uh, in new ways. And we want your input on the process. And so uh, you can go to newcupchurch.org slash survey. And it's a quick eight-question survey. It should take maybe two minutes at the most to fill out. But your responses will help guide us in how we find uh, new creative ways to, to serve those in our community and share the love of Jesus in a way that is meaningful uh, to them. Uh, lastly, another way that you guys can continue to interact with this idea of uh, who Jesus is and why he came uh, is to take a look at our weekly Bible reading plan. I believe we're starting a new one this week. Uh, it's called the Gospel of Mark, Part 2, and it'll continue us in our journey through the book of Mark. Uh, you can find it on our website, on our Sunday resources page, if you don't have the link in front of you. Uh, for those of you online, you'll probably see it in the chat. Uh, any of you can go to the Bible app. Uh, if you use that, you'll find the link under our events page. Um, there's plenty of ways to, to get a hold of that. But I encourage you to, to join us in our journey through the book of Mark. Uh, continue to wrestle with the idea of who Jesus is and why he came. Uh, because he was the Messiah who died and rose for us. So let me pray for us. Jesus, so often I am amazed that your way is so different than the way of the world. Uh, That serving, even serving to the point of death, uh, meant greatness to you instead of what the world would say is greatness. And so, uh, Jesus, first, I want to say thank you for being willing to go to the cross, be willing to die uh, for me and for all those who are listening this morning. Uh, Thank you that that's how much you loved us. Thank you that you rose again to prove that you're more than just a great teacher, but you are God in the flesh who loves us and would give himself uh, on our behalf so that we can be free from the power of sin and death in our lives and we can experience life in your name. Uh, Jesus, thank you as well for your example of serving others around us. And God, would you uh, give each of us opportunity to serve others this week? Uh, Would you give us energy and strength and grace uh, to jump into uh, situations that might be inconvenient if it means serving and showing somebody your love in a practical way. Um, God, thank you so much that New Cove has such a rich history of doing just that. And I pray that uh, you would help each of us to continue to grow in that so that we could be a meaningful, uh, positive influence on our community. Jesus, thanks for being you. Uh, thanks for our time this morning. Thanks for your word. And it's in your name that we pray. All right. Um, Also, this is the time during our service where we encourage people to to give financially. Uh, Your giving allows us to do things like serve our community and support agencies that do wonderful things uh, here in the city of Lincoln. And so 
you've heard the stories over the years of the things that have happened because of you guys, and we're super grateful. Uh, so you can give uh, on our, our webpage, uh, newcapchurch.org slash give. Uh, online, I think there's a link for you to click. You can give there. Uh, but thanks for your giving, and let's worship. <laughs>